Welcome to Tipping Points, the podcast that reveals moments in people's lives that change everything. My name is Luke Edelston, and each week I interview fascinating people with extraordinary stories to find their tipping points. Carl is the leader and founder of The Yes Group, a global personal development community created in London in 1993. He is also the director of Original Thing, established in 1999, which creates branded promotional things for organizations. Carl has authored the book, The Power of Masterminding, and has been a facilitator of masterminding groups for nearly two decades. He is an avid runner and continues to push the boundaries of achievement after almost three decades of living and breathing personal development. Carl, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Luke. Really great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. So I know a fair amount from well your CV online, I suppose, on LinkedIn about your past. And you've talked quite a lot about it publicly in you know personal development groups like the Yes Group and things like that. Um, and something I, I quite like to get to know about people is a bit about their past before you know they were a full-fledged adult and uh, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. So I was just interested to... F- to hear about like your upbringing, like where you brought up, what what it was like for you, and you can you know leave anything out that's not you know you don't don't want to share, but yeah, what was your upbringing like? Ah, oh, gosh, that was a question I wasn't expecting. So um, ultimately, I think you know I say that I had a um, a very average um, upbringing, you know, in so much as you know I was went to a comprehensive school, um, the teachers weren't amazing you know there was one or two that were but um the education system at that time was pretty dire um i'd say that uh you know having my father left when i was seven so i was part one parent family uh, my mother did an amazing job and um you know so things rolled on through my childhood and i was lucky to get a job when i came out of school at 16. you know i felt like i uh had a, a very uh, poor education interesting yeah well, i can almost see potentially how you, you've rebounded from that eventually to, to go into personal development and, and things like that as well um so yeah you mentioned about your your dad leaving as well i mean did that have looking back do you think that would have had a, an impact on on you as a sort of driven sort of successful male or is that just yeah. like incidental really no, I think it, 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 there was something there to be proven, something there to, that was um, a trigger for me to to do better in life. And, you know, I um, heard stories of my ancestors being successful and being um, bombed out in the war um, and losing everything. So I sort of had this idea that I was, you know, that was all taken away from our family and that um, some tragedy had happened to... Uh, my mother as well she um you know ended up in a children's home for a few years when she was younger and things like that it's all because of the war and everything because my granddad took his life at the end of it so Mm. um that ultimately you know impacted me in a way that i felt that you know i was meant to to do more and do better in my life so i sort of uh, went out to, to achieve success yeah yeah and your story is very interesting as well like you know post childhood and everything else as well and uh, you were telling me in a previous chat about how you were a very successful promoter and uh, it's probably interesting to talk about how you came to host uh, the end of the world tour party and it was for the was it for the pet shop boys if i made the notes correctly on that one yeah that's right yeah um 
Well, we're skipping quite a few years here now. From high school 16 to uh, probably 10 years later. But, um, you know, I I took a career path of uh, doing what I loved, uh, which is always a good uh, way for success. And I became immersed in that. And I think today you have to be immersed in whatever you do to be a success. So, you know, the success came from becoming going out, enjoying myself at nightclubs and uh, parties and uh, ultimately starting to host events through um, uh, what was a catalyst of uh, someone I met whose uh, family were in catering and had the, the bar, uh, a venue that we uh, hired or they we, it got us to use so that they, we brought trade in and uh, it sort of became a, a stepping stone for, for greater things um, that going from one venue to the next venue and hosting events and that was very much a, an 80s thing uh, which became highly successful in the 90s um, and what happened is is it was, the, it was the largest venue in London that you could possibly hire it legally held 1600 people and we, we filled that venue up uh, during the launch of the rave scene that I was involved in and um, one of the Pet Shop Boys used to come there uh, Chris Lowe and uh, you know Wow, we've got one of the uh, Pet Shop Boys, you know, the most successful pop duo, male pop duo at that point in time. Um, and they were, you know, big um, around the world at that time. So they, they basically, um, one of them just said, you know, can you help us out, put some guests on our guest list? You know, we, all they want to do is come in and have fun and be anonymous. So that was really what we, we enabled for them. And then they just said, you know, you've been really good to us and we'd love you to organise our end of world tour party at Pinewood Film Studios. Well, actually, they didn't even give us a venue. We had to find a venue. We had to go to Pinewood Film Studios and a load of other places and talk them into having this. And obviously you've got um, a lot of leverage when you say you've got that band, but at the same time, you know, it was, you know, we wanted a lot for uh, that event. And um, it was in the main area where, you know, where they would normally, everyone would come in, the, the film crews, the pops, the stars and everything would go into this, area and have lunch you know and it was it was a palatial um sort of spot with and we and a beautiful gardens and everything so we converted everything into an amazing garden with a hot air balloon and all these blow up things there and you know lots of other things in the garden the the balloon went up and down literally (laughs) Uh, and uh, that that was just the beginning you know we had a star drape and all this stuff was you know it's pretty common now but some of the stuff we did was quite original and, you know, the people that turned up for their event, there's a thousand people, including Depeche Mode, Duran Duran, um, other people from that era. And it was, you know, amazing for me. I was, you know, awestruck with it all. But uh, it was certainly went on till 4 a.m. on a Monday night. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was a great event. So, yeah, it was it was something to, uh, to, to, to look back fondly on. And it was a pinnacle of uh, success in that era for me. Mm, yeah, that, that high air balloon, I mean... You say it was palatial. I mean, how big was this place to fit in a hot air balloon in there? Well, the balloon was outside, to be fair. Um, but uh, the uh, inside, it's just they had a lot of champagne. We had a champagne bar built into it. And it, it was just 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 perfect for us to be able to, to, to run an event. It was just it's a very large space. And it's, it's still there, I'm sure. Um, Pinewood Film Studio it is. But, you know, this particular house is the sort of beginning of it all. You know, I mean, this is where they've had the, 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 the James Bond... Um, um, set you know there's all these such history 100 years of film history probably there and so there's a lot of uh, great things about it yeah i mean how did you end up coming to to that venue because that sounds like really top you know i mean like you said you had a bit of uh because you had pet shop boys on side 
you know that obviously gave you a lot of clout but yeah i mean if it was me i'm not sure i would have thought of pinewood studios as my first thing like how did you manage to arrive at that sort of place (laughs) it's a long time ago 30 years but you know it was um just one of them things that you know you just there was no limits in that way you know we were on the riding on the crest of a wave you know we had at the venue you know every week for nearly two years you know a couple of thousand people paying at the time 15 quid I mean, I don't know what that works out in today's money, but it's probably double that. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of cash going around and a lot of um, favours people want to help. So, you know, you had a lot of influence in that environment. And, um, yeah, it was the beginning of something amazing. And then dance music went and took over the world, you know, and from those early beginnings. And, you know, it's quite incredible to see today the events that happen were happening recently you know um i think it's something mentioned a friend of mine who was i was around and involved with putting on those events at the time as well he told me there's something like tomorrowland where there's 100 200,000 people you know we've got all this this festival culture has come from the, the rave um environment uh, interesting because i'm a big fan of festivals i didn't really think of it as coming from the rave scene that's fascinating i mean yeah i mean it's a lot of it has come from that i mean dance music is uh you know, DJ culture uh, became, uh, you know, the, they became the pop stars. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I had people like Carl Cox played for us on a Sunday event we had, and we had Paul Oakenfold play at one of our events, and Danny, that, Danny didn't come, actually. I know Danny well now, Danny Ramplin, but he didn't, he was doing his own thing. But there's so many, you know, Paul Trouble Anderson played for us, and lots of these guys, you know, um, just, just, just went on to be superstars. I mean, Carl Cox still is. Yeah, definitely. Who do any of them stand out for you as like absolute favourites, either as people or just DJs or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'm still in contact with a couple of uh, them, you know, as friends and uh, um, Matthew uh, Bushwacker and uh, Brandon Block, you know, and um, they're, 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 I think they're probably connected with them because they're they're into the into the personal development themselves and psychology and um one's trained as a therapist and uh one's launched his own sort of brand in the sector for people wanting to for mental health so yeah i think uh there's a connection there for sure yeah i guess it's more than just the music or that shared experience it's also the shared values as well that you've now got yeah no it's great to be uh seeing them doing those things after 30 years and uh you know they both credit me with giving them opportunities at the very beginning <clears throat> I took um I think one of the funny ones was that um uh Bushwhacker Matthew B who has had an amazing career you know he's flown all over the world and um played and you know he spent two months a year in uh, Argentina South America um regularly you know just just doing gigs out there you know and uh made a great living from that and he lived in Ibiza he owns a flat in Ibiza and all the rest of it but um with um Matthew it's just um he reminded me um Carl, do you remember when uh, I, I came down to your club on a Sunday night and, you know, I played a set there and you said to me, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said nothing. And, I, and you said to me, that's good because you're coming to Ibiza with us. Um, and it was the first time he'd ever been to Ibiza. And, you know, I don't remember why I asked him that. Obviously, we needed him there to play music with uh, the other guys. We had uh, um, a couple of other people, including Paul Trouble Anderson, that was out there. And we did a big event at Abnesia. 
and um, we, we got our sound and light people who put our big rigs in every week at the Astoria to drive all the way to Ibiza with an Arctic lorry full of um, extra sound systems and a laser set. So, you know, it's the first time they'd had a laser like that in uh, in Abnesia. This is before it was rebuilt and, um, you know, Abnesia didn't have a roof on them, but it has now. So, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say you literally blew the, 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 the roof off it, but <laughs> before yeah, well, it had I wish one. we could have. It's a shame they put a roof on it. I mean, it's only the sound and the neighbours that made it happen, but it was much more fun when the when the sun came up over the wall. <laughs> yeah, I can associate with that. <laughs> when the yeah, when the sun's coming up at a festival and you like, it's it's partly like a depressing thing. It's like, oh god, I should have been in bed a while ago. <laughs> I'm going to be really tired tomorrow. But it's also just like a most euphoric rising of the sun, isn't it? Yeah, energy's coming again. <laughs> exactly. Day. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, you've had quite a journey with that. Um, and then sort of going back in time a bit. So obviously these things don't happen you know, overnight. You obviously would have worked at it as a promoter. And you said you were lucky to get a job when you were 16. And so was that, that was in promoting, was it, initially? No, no, it was um, something really boring. Um, it was at that point where, you know, I, I needed to, 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 I was leaving school and I was either going to be unemployed or, or have a job and so I, I don't remember going for any other job other than the job I went for which was um but I was quite a hard worker I do want, would say that because I used to have at least two part-time jobs I used to go and work on uh the market on Sunday at Wembley market and I'd have a couple of different jobs there I think I worked on a um you know they make rolls I had to butter the rolls every day before that I think I worked on an ice cream van um then I worked on um I worked on the ice cream van quite a lot and then they had some friends that did fish and chip vans. We did that for the big events and stuff. So uh, I guess I was used to getting my hands dirty and more than that. And then I worked on a sheepskin stall and dress stall and um, that was my Sunday work. And then I had a job at the local off-license, stacking shelves and packing, you know, breaking down the boxes. And so I sort of got, I had a work ethic, you know, and I think that's... Um, really important to, to build that work ethic up and encourage young people to, you know, start thinking about having a work ethic, but not necessarily explaining it in that way, but getting them doing something so they can get on. So I went in and my first job was a, as a stock taker and valuer, which basically means uh, in the, in the counting Mars bars uh, and um, cigarette packets and things like that in a, what they called then was a CTN. Uh, and we would um, count everything, literally all the magazines, the value of everything in one day. And then the um, the owners of the shop, which would be a franchise type shop, would work out if the, how much was in the shop, how much should be in the shop and what profit they'd made. So that was our daily job, going to a new um, location and doing that. And I did that probably for a good few years. Even when I started promoting the clubs, I was sort of like holding on to that. So I sort of regular income, but I would find myself on a Friday um, with a hangover um, from the night before thinking I can't carry on doing this it's too much for me I want to go and have more fun so uh, yeah that's the way it went right yeah well I, I think a lot of people have obviously had sort of I wouldn't say shit jobs but they've had quite a lot of jobs that aren't their ideal jobs to start with you know paper rounds and uh, yeah I worked I in one of them too when I was even younger yeah, yeah. I think that... it's good you know oh definitely and uh, well, I guess Paper round's probably not quite as cool when you when you're thirty, but uh, so I'm probably not going to start that. Saying that, <laughs> I did uh, deliver food in Australia uh, on a bike, so you know I was mid twenties then. 
So uh, you, you can always go back to it. And it was actually quite fun because you get to see the city. So Yeah, it, I, I always, always think it's a positive thing when you see these, you know, super rich families, even like, you know, I'll just use them as an example. The Beckhams have got enough money to, not to have to send their kids to work in a restaurant or something, but they do it anyway. And it's a really good thing, you know, for that young person to um, be in that position of you know service for others in whatever context. Yeah, like you say, it gives a work ethic. And I think it gives value to money. And hmm. because if you're just giving it, it's it's not very motivating. Whereas if you've earned everything that you've got, or most of what you've got, then you feel a sense of pride. It's like I'm currently buying a house. I know that every penny of that is from me. And I think that's that's it's nice. I mean, sometimes it's a bit frustrating if you don't have that financial support, obviously. And uh, nowadays, I think it can be harder for going to university because it's all that debt that people weighs on people's minds as well, which is obviously different to how it used to be. So, it, yeah, I definitely completely agree with, I wouldn't say forcing the work ethic, but just... You know, say if you want something, you can do this thing and you can earn some money or get a reward for it. I think, I mean, that's how the world works, really, isn't it? You add value, yeah. people give you money. And, and it's not just about money either, it's about energy and, tr- and all of that kind of stuff. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so you were working, you're doing your part time jobs and everything and uh, continuing with your work ethic. But where did the work ethic come from initially? Was that just ingrained into you from, you know, being a child? I think my mother has always had a good work ethic. And as I say, my mother and father split up. So it's my mother that's uh, input that to me. And I, so, you know, I think I was driven, um, you know, maybe she, you know, wired me up psychologically in some way. I didn't know. I'll have to ask her if she's, if there's a secret that she's been holding back, why I had a work ethic, because now I'm thinking about it. I'm not sure other than, you know, the fact that I have this idea about my, you know, prior generations and, um, you know, I wanted to prove something um, to myself as well. And, um, you know, I was in the flow with the events, you know, it was motivational that I loved, I was into the music and just having a good time. And, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough again to have a business partner who was a bit more of a mentor, sort of a bit older than me, maybe about four or five years older than me. And uh, he sort of dragged me through that initial stages of uh, breaking out from being uh, employed to, to um, self-employed. Mm. because it wasn't like you know oh we're gonna there was no guarantees you know it was very sort of you know what's our next uh venue sort of thing what's our next party it wasn't sort of like a how you say like a, a work when you have a trade you know it wasn't that sort of thing mm. so there's a lot of grafting well you have to make it up as you go along you have to be creative and and keep um generating uh you know, there was no sort of there wasn't really a longer vision although we ended up um, buying the catering rights to some, um, well, this place called Rice at Lido, which uh, on a hot sunny sunny day could hold about 5,000 people. And we held the rights to sell all of the drinks and uh, food on that the catering rights. It also had a small sort of bar in there for uh, private functions. So that was our uh, step. And that's again, he, he pulled me into that. And I did that for a year and I hated it you know, because it was, wasn't glamorous and it wasn't fun. Um, and I just got too used to having those, um, you know, privileges, if you like, at the time. And so I went back into, uh, without, without him, as he'd um, sort of wanted to remove himself from that environment that we'd started because he got married. So fair enough. And uh, I went on to do more of these events and which led ultimately to, uh, 
to that big uh, venue in London and uh, two years of uh, um, huge success and a lot of money coming through my hands. And the amazing thing about it then was that it was all cash as well, which which makes it even look more fun and seem and sound a bit more like lock, stock and smoking barrels, which there are some analogies to that, you know, in terms of the environment and the um, there's a criminal element in that environment as well. And I always was trying to steer away and keep out of that. And it felt like it was becoming a bit of a sort of tighter uh, noose around my neck. If that's one of the reasons I didn't really want to carry on, but we won't talk about that too much. Mm. But I think, you know, the bottom line is having, you know, all those people and there were, you know, all those people coming through the door. Um, you know, we had two people just counting the money, which is quite crazy, isn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on yeah. the night. Well, it sounds kind of cool and dangerous all at the same time. Yeah, it was all that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned uh, that your mentor was dragging you through it. And uh, I think mentors and just people you can learn from in general are obviously really valuable. Um, so how, in what way did he drag you? Well, you know, I think um, reminding me that, you know, I wasn't happy doing what I was doing, reminding me that, that you know, that there's more opportunity and um, fun and money over here and that, you know, I was detracting from the potential of success by you know dragging my feet and um, holding on to the um you know what do you call it holding on to the to the wall of the swimming pool sort of thing mm -hmm. yeah nice metaphor the stability i can yeah well i'm still hanging on to that at the moment so <laughs> maybe i need a mentor to drag me away from it but then i need to start making money elsewhere as well so one step at a time isn't it it is yeah there is a time when you've got to just uh, let go and start swimming. But yeah, you've got to, there's things you can do to shore up the um, possibilities of success, yeah. Yeah, and it seems, well, I don't know if it was built into you or you had it raised with you, but the sort of entrepreneurial spirit, like you've owned and started a number of companies and some that have, well, you've got two that are currently going, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah. Uh, where does that come from? Because I guess some people take more risks and other people, you know, the risk tolerance is lower. I mean, is that a nature nurture thing? Is it because you've been shown through mentorship and just grown your confidence over time? I mean, it could be all sorts. I think you've got a gut feeling for what's going to work. And, you know, you collect evidence that um, you're on the right path and you, you know, you build... Um, success through you know getting sales or you know um, measurements such as you know how many people are looking at something how many people are reading something how many people are you know we've got lots of d data today that we didn't have then for sure you know and I think uh, it's fair to say that it's going that way now where data is even is always going to become more and more important to understand you know what um, what customers want so yeah i mean for me i also work a lot on my own intuition and um you know how i feel and uh, what over the years you start to recognize where you can trust that more and where you can um what your strengths are so yeah that's um and the relationships you can build through time um ultimately can become um assets if you like for uh, success definitely 
So you mentioned intuition. So this is something I struggle with. Um, not that it's not true or not a good idea. I completely think it is actually. It's just that I've, I'm very logical. Did a physics degree, done mm. engineering. I guess that step by step process kind of thing. I like it. I like a good process. I mean, I gave you a checklist before this and everything. You know, mm. that's just the way I go. Um, it's very good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it can be useful, but at the same time. I think it could take away from this intuition side because if you're always thinking like evaluation and sort of yes, data is useful clearly, but the intuition is probably especially useful for things like you know business decisions um, and partnerships and your future direction as a person and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm just curious to see. I mean, it's quite a hard thing I think to explain how to use or how to develop. But is it something you sort of born with or is it something you've you've grown and would you be able to tell people how they could oh gosh no i'm not an expert on uh, intuition in terms of teaching others that's for sure i think you know my i think as you as you get older you learn from your mistakes obviously and you know people will call that wisdom right so my thoughts are you know it's um the that that gut feeling about you know is this feeling right is it feeling good you know am i feeling pulled in or not you know and it's a bit just like um they say that we we see with our eyes millions of bits of information per second and we can only process only a small fraction of those it's the same thing about our thinking in my mind that's how i sort of think about it so you know i've got all this data coming in to me about you know what what people are saying and doing all the time um tuning into that as a as, as more of a sort of pro is a process of tuning into the to the, all that data and saying you know what what sort of gets pumped out at the end of it i think that's all i can say about it really because i'm not i'm not someone to define it or teach it but that's my own sort of uh way i represent it yeah does that help yeah and uh i was well i've been making lots of life decisions over the last well the last five years has been a busy one and um just trying to figure out you know what's the right decision i'm not sure there's ever such thing as the right or a wrong decision as well obviously indecision just takes you nowhere and making a decision takes you forward and it's easy to say that not easy to do it so i was looking at a video by tim ferris he recently put out about making decisions and he was talking about this gut feel and it made me it, I think I got confused at that point because I, I listened to him and he was saying, well, he, can't, he struggles to find a positive gut feel, but he does find a negative one. So he, so he listens to his, his head, his, his heart, and his like, you know, lower abdomen slash gut. And uh, so then I was thinking about that in the context of like buying a house. And I got this like sort of negative one, like, like gut feel of negative, but I think that was just fear. And so for me, it's, it's really tricky to, to separate yeah. those things out. But... You know, it's, it's all work in progress, isn't it? I think it is. And, you know, I think it's, um, as I say, as we get older, we start to recognise those feelings in a much more clear way. So the difference, you differentiate those two types of fear, maybe, will be through experience uh, by ultimately wisdom of making mistakes and <laughs> figuring out what, um, what what the feeling was when it wasn't, when it went well. Uh, but there's no guarantees in life and anything can change that in the external world that can misrepresent that uh, gut feeling. But I think, you know, the truth, well, not the truth, but the, the, what's true for me is 
um, you know, most of the time, you, if you trust your gut, you're right. Yeah, it's still something I'm working on for sure. So let's, uh, I think we've jumped around a little bit, but so let's let's go to the S group because obviously this is how I've met you and I think it's a great organization and very valuable self-development group and has had, you know, as I think you said, it had 50 different groups around the world at one point. Yeah. Th throughout time, we've had yeah. that many groups, you know, yeah. not, not all at once, but, you know, people have uh, started groups in different cities. Yeah, and it's fantastic. I mean, you started it in London, so you'd, you'd been to, uh, yeah, I almost said UPW, but the acronym Unleash the Power Within, which is a mm. Tony Robbins event. I think most people have heard of Tony Robbins by now. And uh, some people, when I, t when I tell my friends sometimes, they're like, oh, Tony Robinson, oh, the weatherman of mine. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a different person. But uh, yeah, I was just interested like how you got to that, that point of starting the Yes Group and also just finding Tony Robbins because I think that's a journey in itself sometimes for people. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the question. You know, I, I've answered this in different ways so many times over the years, but I think if we go back to talking about that nightclub uh, scenario, you know, and I was a fish in water, it was great. I was hugely successful and, and you know, um, I was a very big fish in a small pond in some ways, but, um, you know, and everyone was, you know, everybody loved me because I had power to let them into the clubs. And if they knew me, they could get to know other people. And you don't really recognize that at the time, but you're just in the zone with it all. And it was, it was great fun. And, you know, I had my, my ego had become overinflated. <laughs> my, um, <laughs> You know, I um, had, I was young um, in my mid to late 20s and had obviously with the money I mentioned, a lot of money flying around, brand new um, car, a classic car I bought, you know, a second car that we used as a pool car, a Porsche. So, you know, we had money and, you know, we were enjoying ourselves. But, you know, when it all came crashing down, because ultimately um, these guys who um, owned the nightclub, you know, they wanted to keep pinching a bit more of our profits and we were resisting that and we were trying to do a deal where we you know bought the club off them and everything but um they kept threatening to take it away from us and then they did and they they spoilt it you know they spoilt it for themselves as well because the next people they got in ruined it for them they tried to ride our ride our our profit and our good name but people dropped off fast it was a very um insular type of environment and uh it, you know people went in different directions and uh, i did have the uh, pleasure of hearing from the owner's son that it was the biggest mistake he'd ever made in his in his career letting us go because we were putting all those people in there every week solid and uh, bar takes were great and everything so you know that the point was i got um i had to find a way of maintaining the business that we created and i had three or four people working for me full time so i you know the ministry of sound was just opening up um so i paid an overinflated price to become the promoter there and ultimately it failed you know for various reasons we tried to the, the ministry of sound at that time did was, wasn't the brand and name it just started out and although it had some great things about it it was in a in an area of london that you would have never bet on that was going to be successful um it wasn't accessible uh, i don't even remember at the beginning if they sold alcohol or not so you know there's lots of things about it that weren't quite right um and so that failed and i said right i'm out you know, lost a lot of cash in one go, I'm out. So I then decided to sort of go on a bit of a sabbatical, which I didn't know at the very beginning of the sabbatical, but it was a sabbatical. And then I was going backwards and forwards to America, hanging out with all these people I've met at the New Music Seminar and the Dance Music Seminar, uh, both in New York and, and Miami. And I visited them in their individual uh, states and in their cities. And I went to maybe about seven or eight different um, 
places stayed in their homes which is a great experience and what was happening is that um late night television tony robbins was this guy on tv going you know talking about it was an infomercial right that's how he started his business and and i was curious and curious and then i started seeing him on the in-flight stuff you know going backwards and forwards because i've been i was going to the states probably four times a year i met a girlfriend out there um in st louis um and just basically thought right okay I'll, i'll get her to come and live here uh, and then you know it didn't work out, and so I, I came back here with my tail between my legs. It's sort of like world's not working out. I didn't get this girl. I didn't, you know, everything it was all going, and I just sort of reclused myself into this sort of like um, spot and lived off the money I'd profited on through that five years prior. And the money's going down. It's going down. I'm thinking, what's good? what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you know, my friend, funny enough, who's a um, nightclub uh, rave promoter, says, "Oh, we're doing the merchandising." for um the tony robbins event i'm like all right okay he says and i said well i want to go but i'm not going to pay to see someone talk am i yeah because this is where i was at right i'm not going to pay to hear someone talk (laughs) yeah so um, (laughs) yeah this is where it started so um then i'm he says to me well i can get you in because it was all about get me on the guest list, get me on the guest list, because this was what we did all the time. Well, we had all these people asking for our guest list, so everyone gave everyone on a guest list. So I'm thinking, okay, now I'm getting in free to see Tony Robbins, say 500 quid, because that's how much it was then. And um, I'll be um, just selling a few T-shirts at the break. Well, it didn't turn out like that because, you know, it was a different, completely different experience. I wanted to sit in the room uh, when they, you know, asked you to do stuff. You had to do this stuff that, you know, wasn't quite just selling T-shirts, got caught up in everything else. That that very first time I ended up doing the firewalk, met some amazing people. And I was like, wow, you know, and, and Tony Robbins talks about a pattern interrupt when something happens in a conversation or in your life that changes something um, and you never live life the same again well they're walking on those hot coals that was my experience it reminded me of that energy i and power i had and when i was being successful it woke me up so i was sort of thinking right okay you know i've just woken from this two years of slumber um and you know i started then to um bring people together that i'd met at this event there was no internet really no email no um uh, social media at that time so business cards were exchanged and telephone calls were made and we got together maybe about 15, 20 of us and said, uh, you know, what we're here for, what we want to get out of this. And, you know, um, there was a few people that I still uh, am in contact with today from that group, including Ella Matheson, who's been regularly coming to the Yes Group this year, which is great. And, you know, there's that journey uh, developed into um, something else. I mean, it was it was that at this point it was because I come from a place of, you know, the rave scene was all about, um, although I made a lot of money at the rave scene, it was all about community and bringing people together. And it was a movement of, um, well, you know, I think when, when people analyze the rave scene, they talk about people from all backgrounds, you know, whether they be posh Chelsea Sloans or whether they be, um, from Broadwater Farm Estate and, or whether they be from North East, South London, because North and South were always, you know, not getting on very well. Everyone came together in my club and parted probably with big smiles on their faces because they may have been doing things they weren't legal, but um, they all had a great time and everyone got on it. And we're talking also the football um, thugs as well. They were there, you know, everyone was there and they're all having a good time together. So it was, it was amazing coming together and it really, you know, I really um, expanded my thinking about people and possibilities and everything else about bringing people together. So that, that the, the Tony Robbins environment was, it was a sort of a similar sort of thing, but it was about a different type. It was about changing our psychology 
And at that time, that's what I needed to do. I needed to rebuild um, and recreate myself. And the only thing that, one of the things I talk about in my presentations now is, um, you know, when I was the nightclub promoter, everyone used to come up to me and say, oh, Carl, he's the promoter. Oh, Carl, he's the promoter. So I got this really identity of being a promoter. So when I was in, walked into that Tony Robbins event, my thinking was, how can I promote this? Not Tony Robbins, but this, this, this energy, this, uh, this psychology, this personal development. This turns out to be NLP. This turns out to be a load of other stuff that we know now today. And many things have come since then. So, yeah, it was very much about um, me needing it but also creating it. Yeah, and I guess there's those transfer of skills as well. I mean, not everybody's in in the right headspace or has the skills to bring people together. I mean, obviously you've been doing that and making... Yeah, probably it's very natural for me. Yeah, and I, I suppose um, not everybody would make all of those calls, you know, get the business cards. and. Do, but you were, I assume by that point, you're kind of used to, you know maybe not cold calling people but you know talking to people a lot and arranging things and i guess yeah. that was just part of your wheelhouse at the it, time it, it, it was very much about you know hi how are you doing what you do what do you do you know and what do you think about you know that information and it was very basic you know it wasn't i guess you could say we were helping and supporting each other we might have been coaching each other but it was another five ten years later that that word coaching really started to be you know pumped into the environment by tony talking about you know his coaches you know and he you know, I, I, no one else has been talking about in this environment coaching until Tony Robbins came over. You know, so <laughs> he built. He, you know, you know, one could argue that he built the industry um, in that regard, mm -hmm. and uh, he's been a trailblazer for that. And uh, we all, we all got a lot of respect for him for that. Um, so yeah, it's been an interesting um, journey. But that that was a that was a um, a revolution of thought for me, and I uh, I rebuilt through that event through tony robbins from the people i met uh, that peer group and then doing my nlp training i rebuilt myself like it's a, like i just say it's like a software upgrade you know and if you think of how, where the software was back in the uh early 90s you know uh, compared to where it is now that's about the difference it feels it was from when i started to where i'm at <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah well that's it's, it's very interesting the whole uh, genesis of the s group and how it's you know carried on for so long as well and is still you know very useful and successful in my opinion and, and you had uh, obviously interesting times of covid recently um being well obviously all being locked at home and, and your business being very much in person kind of thing isn't it you'd have rooms full of people you'd be jumping around and uh, getting your energy up you'd have great speakers and then you, you kind of forced into COVID. Uh, what went through your mind and how did you respond to, to that kind of situation? Yeah, thanks, Luke. I think I just want to go back to your earlier part question where you were saying, you know, what yeah. what, what was the yes group with the 50 uh, groups to give people a bit of context about, sure. you know, where we've come from. So what happened after that event um, is this we, we created this thing. It was quite slow moving at first. You know, we had like, you know, 30 people, 20 people. And it went on for a couple of years like that. And then, you know, other people came more involved, Brigitte Sumner and Rex uh, Sumner got involved. And one of them was uh, in a mailing house and he started getting this newsletter pumped out every month. And, you know, we, we, every year Tony came back and more and more people were regularly coming to the escrow. We'd have 40s and 50s. And then suddenly we jumped to 100, you know, and then there was a point in time probably... Mm, 
15 years ago where we suddenly hit 500 people every month would come and people, we had Bob Proctor from the uh, uh, the secret coming and, and that sort of stuff and you know every it was a who's who of personal development from there on in wanted to be on the yes group stage and um, you know the Mark Victor Hansons and the founder of NLP came and it just goes on and on and on um, and Dr. John D. Martini came a few times. And, and the point is that it just sort of uh, people came into London and went, wow, I, I, I travel from Norwich, you know, wow, I travel from Bristol, wherever it is. I, I really would love to have a yes group um, in, in, in my city. And I was like, well, why don't you have one then? And then it so it became a very much of an organic type of uh, people s- s- popping up these yes groups. And, you know, I, I because it's always well until for, for the first 20 odd plus years, it was always about volunteering for me. And more recently, it's become more of a professional structured thing. But, you know, for those years, it was always about just giving people a support and uh, to say, you know, what do you need to do this? And, you know, giving them tips about how to get people to, to come to their event and things. So we then had other people, you know, I people from all over the world were coming to London to Tony Robbins event and they were seeking me out to find out how they could create a yes group in their city. So, you know, we had one in Sweden, one in Slovenia that I went to and spoke at a couple of times. And then, you know, we've had other yes groups in America. They've been several in Australia, Italy, Belgium. It just goes on and on and on, you know, where people have rung me up and said, you know, how do you do it? Can I do it? Is it okay? You know, and it's always been given as a sort of because it's all about contribution and making a difference and supporting people. And and only in the last sort of five years we've had to do a trademark because people have thought they can use it as a tool to get customers and you know there's been other uh, situations come up but the point I'm making is is that it, it just grew organically and it was it was a beautiful thing and we've sort of become back into a very sort of smaller London based group although there are satellite groups there's about six or seven in the UK when COVID hit all of those other groups have sort of pulled down now and they are waiting to come back into the room, as is London. Uh, but for me, I had to do something. So, you know, we switched from doing a once a month event in London to a weekly event. I also carried on getting outside speakers and some of those other groups put on one off uh, Zoom events. So we've had lots of uh, support going on through the through the pandemic, through COVID. And it's now that, you know, we're in a position we're talking today and those restrictions being um, every day, it seems more and more people are allowed to do more and more things. You know, we're looking at getting live events back in, I think, another sort of two months time. We're officially allowed to do all of that uh, or even less than that now. So, yeah, that's where we're at. Sorry if I I jumped a lot of history there. If there's anything particularly you wanted to hear more about, but that that's where we're at too. Yeah, for me, it was kind of like your internal response. What went through your mind? What did you think? And all of that when COVID hit, because you shifted pretty quickly. And I think one of my gut reactions, well, maybe not gut reactions, but one of my reactions to the pandemic was just to be on the phone to people quite a lot because I couldn't see them in person and things. And uh, yeah, there was there's partly a loneliness part of it and I just wanted to connect with people. And also I came to the Yes Group as well um, because for me, it was being around like-minded people, you know, I really wanted that. And I, at the beginning of COVID, went back to my parents because I thought, well, I'd rather be there than on my own in a flat in London and paying lots of money for it. And so I went back up north and all of that. And 
it was very difficult because obviously they don't think exactly the same way as me. I mean, nobody does, thankfully. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, so, you know, they've got a bit of a different mindset. They're not really got a growth mindset, like no offense to them or anything, but they are open-minded to give them credit. You know, I, I told them about um, different documentaries a while ago and how I'd gone vegetarian and they had actually followed me and similarly through to veganism as well. So they are open-minded, but they're not looking for growth in the same way I am. Hmm. It's, it's a very big part of me and I'm very curious to learn about more and more stuff. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's those sort of pivotal moments I think are interesting because you that happened, you forced into, you know, your, your home. And, and then what do you think about the escrow? What goes through your head? Yeah, I mean, it was... Um... It was just a natural response, I think, um, both to keep the yes group going and to provide value to the members who had, you know, signed up because it's a membership organization and people pay an annual subscription. So we wanted to give them something of support. And, you know, it soon became obvious that this was about mental well-being um, and we pivoted into focusing on that. And, you know, my pet subject of, you know, what I say to myself is my, well, what I say to other people today is your uh, personal development journey is your leadership journey that that's something that's sort of um, become prevalent so you know bringing more sort of leadership content is if you're leading you're you're automatically uh, by default taking care of your mental well-being mental health to me is something else to be clear but um you know we want people to be in the best possible state it's been difficult i've had a you know some things have been pressing on me that made uh, some my you know challenged me in many ways you know emotional state on a daily basis had to be focused on whereas <clears throat> normally I wouldn't be thinking about that because I'd just be in the zone so you know having to manage that with uh, incoming challenges um but yeah that that's uh that's certainly something that I uh wanted to make sure that the, the yes group could provide a service for the people who uh, who needed it and wanted it and you know we added in a few other things we did three social events where you know we put music on and did a sort of like uh, desert island discs for everyone to put music on and dance in our own homes it's a bit crazy it's a bit wacky you'd never do it normally but hey when you can't go out and do anything it breaks up your the monotony of a very long dark winter which it really truly was i think for most of us yeah so you know that was good and we ran a couple of uh, half day workshops you know about uh, finishing the year strong and um you know, goal setting for the 2021. Yeah, commendable the amount of things you've been doing and I've happily participated in, in some of it and yeah, I thought you've pivoted very well in, in that time as well. Um, it sounds like what, it might not be conscious of it because like you say it was natural. Um, it sounds like part of it is just having that mission and that vision already with the S group. Just, you already had that mission to keep serving, you use that word. And I think that, that's really driven you through this whole time definitely yeah i think um there's definitely a mission and um yeah it's it's it's, it's something yeah you're right it, it feels good to um i i dr john Do dr john d martini was the last speaker to speak in our room in february 2020 and i you know i had a fear that this thing was going to be much bigger than where people were at at that moment. And I said to him, you know, what can I do to, you know, um, support people and uh, look after my uh, family, etc. And he, he said, you know, have a mission. And I was like, 
isn't that it? Is there no magic pill? You're not going to suggest I go and eat a particular herb or something uh, or whatever else it might be, have a mission. So I took that and I, you know, applied that and you know, having the mission of uh, maintaining a service at the Yes Group served me. It kept me focused on positivity and in the right zone. Yeah, wise advice. And I was in the room for that particular event. It was a very good event. It was uh, amazing. It was really good. And um, so you mentioned being a leader as well. And I think I had a bit of a transition or realization when I went to a Tony Robbins event in Sydney, which was my first one. And that was a few years ago. And I went to Unleashed Power Within and did the firewalk like yourself. And uh, God knows how many other people now (laughs) walked on calls. And I got some feedback. And I suppose sometimes people have got blind spots, haven't they? And for me, I've had a few blind spots. And one being, actually, I tend to be a leader or I gravitate towards that sometimes through frustration so i remember when i was like 16 and we used to arrange football meetings and all this kind of stuff i would just be annoyed that no one else would do it so i'd just do it that was kind of how it came up (laughs) and then you get these funny uh, i'm sure you've done a few different personality tests and things and we did a myers-briggs test and i think it can be very uh it can be tricky it can be a bit uh if people aren't aware of their mind and how it works people can take these labels that that things like the Myers-Briggs test can bring out as uh, as like, well, you can either reject it or accept it, I suppose, is one two main things. And I did that, and I got this, I, I can't remember what the letters were, but it, the summary title of it was Supervisor. And I thought, God, that sounds awful. Like, I thought <laughs> supervisors as people in like Asda or, or people who work in a supermarket, and I thought, I don't want to work in a supermarket and manage people, that sounds rubbish. Uh, so I just stopped arranging stuff. And um, and that happened for a few years, like a good few years, until I realized at some point, oh, I'm actually good at it and I quite like doing it. Uh, and I tend to f- fulfill that role within a group of friends and things anyway. Um, so what I'm getting to, so with going to Tony Robbins and the firewalk and all that stuff, for me, I was... I could see that people around me were nervous walking up to the fire. Uh, so you got these like, lines of... Well, lines of people queuing up to go to the call and people shouting you know uh yes yes and you know it sounds like a cult and maybe it is but anyway uh and i remember that like, these people looked a bit scared and i was like yes yeah i was really going for it and trying to get people up with me as well and after that they said oh you know it was really great you were like pushing us and all that kind of stuff and i was like i didn't really think about it you know it was just something i did and I think it takes a while sometimes or to have that identity shift. Sometimes it can happen like immediately. Uh, but that was like the start of the realization for me that, you know, maybe I am a leader and now I can see myself doing more of that kind of things, whether it's playing uh, Ultimate Frisbee and just trying to get people motivated and that kind of stuff. It's a lot more natural now, um, but it takes confidence as well. So I'm just kind of wondering where the shift started to happen for you, where you started to look at yourself differently from being a promoter to being a leader or if that's completely happened i'm not sure but you know tell me more about yeah, it it's a great question and you know it brings um a smile to my face hearing your story around that and you know for you uh, recognizing that and i think um i talk about being a reluctant leader you know and that is easier not to be a leader let's put it that way right 
it's easy just to sit back and let other people lead and let them make their mistakes and pick up the rubbish that, that maybe gets gets broken or dropped behind and they take all the flack for that and you can just carry on walking and it's just comfortable being not the leader. So, you know, sometimes in life, um, I admit to not wanting to lead, you know, because, you know, I want to take some time out or I want to rest or whatever, you know, and then you could say, well, actually being a good leader means you do take care of yourself and you do get that rest and you do look after yourself. And um, so there's various ways to look at it and people give different definitions of it. Um, you're answering your question around promote a leader. I think that, um, you know, when I reflect back on when I, when I was a promoter, I was absolutely a leader as well. <laughs> But I hadn't even, that word was not in my head. That was not a word given to me by anyone else. And it was not a word I'd um, put on myself because actually at that time, leaders were probably um, only um, thought of in a very small minority of the population, <clears throat> you know, um, and leadership training and organisations. I, I don't I have no idea what it was like then, but I would assume that it was quite minimal and it was only given to people if they were sort of taking on the mantle of, you know, running the organization and those organizations would probably be quite big. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> to say, otherwise you'd just be a manager and, and more now I would suggest that, you know, some of those people who are just managers in at that particular time, you know, 30 years ago would now be considered to be leader managers. Right. And in fact, you know, my philosophy is everyone's a leader. So, you know, we can, you know, not say lead when now where, right where you are, you know, there's no reason not to, you know, um, you know, you reaching out to me is you're leading. You know your your business, your podcast. You're reaching out to me and saying, "Hey, are, are you are you up for this? I, I think it would be great for you and for me if we did this." So I'm thinking, yeah, it would be good for both of us. So, you know, when all the with these conversations, I always learn something or remember something about myself. You know that I'd forgotten. Um, so yeah, I wasn't a leader then, and I, I don't even think of myself um, as a leader of the S group until you know, 10 odd years ago, 10, 15 years ago. So it's sort of 10 years I've been doing the yes group before I thought I was thinking about, you know, what I'm, I'm, I'm a leader here. You know, it wasn't something that was important to me. You know, in fact, I mentioned about having an overblown ego when I was running those clubs. Um, so for me, you know, I don't want to start recreating that ego. You know, um, it's, uh, uh, there's a place for ego and, and confidence is part of that, you know. And I think that's a vital element, as you mentioned the word, in all of us to be um, confident. Um, yeah, so I hope that makes uh, some sense. But I think, you know, leading for me is, you know, how am I leading with my relationship, my family, my community, my work, you know, even in my work, you know, am I, you know, an absolute role within any business is, is vital and that is sales. And, you know, if you're not leading with sales, you you're you're not going to be a successful business, and if you're if you're um, fearful of the rejection that comes with sales, the meat that is a meaning that we all give that um, um, that no, then ultimately you know the um, business is not going to flourish to its greatest potential. Yeah, I mean, you basically, if you don't ask for anything, you don't get much. And I think there's a funny thing when you, well, when I was being brought up is. It definitely was the opposite of uh, don't ask, don't get. It was uh, <laughs> I was sort of brought up with the, you know, you shouldn't ask for it because then you won't get it. That was just like the, uh, <laughs> the, the I don't know, ethos that I got from my dad. So my dad's a bit more like, uh, if you ask me for stuff, like repeatedly, you definitely won't get it. <laughs> so for me, I was sort of, I had that upbringing of, 
not asking and yeah. for me to ask and shift that was quite a big thing ask for help and I, that was another thing that came from david destiny with tony robbins uh, that was really useful for me is to start asking for help because you can't do it on your own and i suppose that's the whole point isn't it none of these things you've done you know you've done on your own you might have been a leader but you were supported by lots of people and there's probably other leaders supporting you at the, at the moment as well yeah, it made me think about creativity when you just said that, because, you know, <clears throat> without a vision, you have to be creative, create that vision, and you have to speak to people, and you have to say, you know, do you fancy meeting up? Should we all meet up next month? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, look, yeah, 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 people saying that to you, saying, yeah, yeah, so that's good, then let's start telling everybody, you know, and I was very much used to telling everybody, uh, you know, we're going to, this is the event, this is the event, the next event. I was an event promoter, so it was easy and second nature for me to do it for the ES group at the very beginning. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, you touched on another point there that's important, and that is, you know, we are conditioned by our upbringing, you know, and there's no doubt that, you know, um, that my parents uh, being there and not being there uh, were also uh, impacting my um, confidence and ability. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I talk about in, in leadership, about being willing, you know, you've got to be willing to risk, you've got to be willing to step up, you've got to be willing to, you know, um, ask, you know, and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah definitely true. And uh, we had this conversation earlier in the week, actually, about you know, what does leadership mean to you? And for me, I, I think part of it is uh, leading by example, you know, doing or acting the way that you, you say that you want people to act. And that is part of because a lot of people have like stated uh, mission statements and values and things like that for organizations. And uh, when people get disillusioned is when those things don't align. You know, what people say doesn't match what they do. And that's I think that's the main thing about a leader is really having those things aligned and encouraging others as well. I think it's a big one uh, part of leadership. Uh, because in the end, I suppose we're never here forever, and it's just, I suppose this part of it is about leaving a legacy and opening opening up people's minds to different kinds of experiences and different kinds of things that might help them. Because I think a lot of people aren't self aware to some extent. So what I mean by that is, you know, you've got people wandering around with loads of thoughts, and this is kind of relating to meditation somewhat as well. They're wandering around with loads of thoughts that they've basically picked up from everybody else. It's that conditioning side of it. And they're not aware that those things have been put in there by somebody else. And mm. having, I think that's part of this whole personal development thing is is being aware of that. And again, like you said, it's having that meaning coming from something. So you can take any meaning out of any event. And uh, <laughs> some people think that things happen for a meaning, uh, for a reason, sorry. And I think you can take any meaning out of anything that happens. And so it's it's a tricky one with, with some people because I know there's so got that deep, you know, maybe spiritual belief about, oh, it was meant to happen like that. Um, but I think you can always make the meaning out of things as well. I think that's, that's really important. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. I like what you said about, um, you know, being congruent, you know, people, um, there's a saying, isn't there? People do what you do. They don't do what you say. You know, they, they mirror yeah. you. They um, um, learn from you. They um, they get pick up the habits that you, you have. And, you know, there's a transference of uh, values as well. You know, if someone like yourself gets attracted to the S group um, by 
growth, for example, and we're all talking about growth and contribution, growth and contribution, growth and contribution. You start focusing on contribution and then you, then you end, end up um, by having conversations with other people in the group about contribution. And then, you know, they're talking about taking a, a day of action because we haven't mentioned it today. But, you know, uh, the Yes Group was founded on those two values of uh, growth and contribution. And every year we do our charitable project, although we weren't allowed last year because of the pandemic but you know feeding uh, needy families at christmas and delivering upwards of a thousand baskets for the last five years um feeding five thousand people um so you'll get drawn into those conversations and then suddenly you have a great time at the at the uh, event and uh, you say wow that was the most you know one of the best experiences i've had a day of contribution working with all these other people uh, and suddenly you become an advocate for that so you mm -hmm. then own that value more than you did when you first arrived and that's what's happened a lot um, through uh, the time at the Yes Group. You know, people have uh, been invited along and then they started their journey of um, personal development because um, that's what, what, was, what was available to them. Yeah, that's right. Growth and contribution, yeah, definitely big ones. And uh, I can see uh, that that you embody that as well. I mean, I was reading for your LinkedIn to do a bit of research just to, about your, your history, make sure I got the dates right and all that kind of stuff. And I thought it was really interesting how you said, you know, no matter how long ago that we've worked together or done things together, you know, reach out if you want some sort of recommendation and stuff. Obviously, you're not going to give shitty recommendations to people that you don't believe in, but it's just that kind of, that outward giving part of things. And uh, again, appreciated your time uh, I think it was earlier this week or maybe last week when we talked about, you know, what's the vision for your podcast? And it's those kind of things where, you, you, you know, I can see you're very driven and you've got business mind and obviously you've got successful businesses, but you're also willing to give time for other people. And I think that's really important because there's a, a, I think we've been educated in some ways to be really all about ourselves. It's a very American culture where we're, we're thinking about ourselves quite a bit. And I think there's a, there's a great, part of sort of uh, a lot of Asian cultures, which is about community as well and the family. And I think we sometimes undervalue that as, as, a, as a nation potentially, and, and maybe as a general culture too. So I think it's, it's really important to have that contribution. And it takes you away from your own ego, actually. You know, if you're out there helping, giving people baskets of food as you do for the S group, then at that point when you're giving it over the food or you're planning the things, uh, getting all the food together, get the people, the volunteers together, you're not thinking about yourself in that moment. You're not thinking about your, you know, how will I look doing this? It's, it's not a self-aggrandizing sort of scheme. It's something that you're doing for other people, and it takes you. I think that's really good for your mental well-being as well. So I, I commend you for that. Yeah. No. It's um, <clears throat> it's been. Um, I do have this concept that it's a great to have it as a. Uh, um, <clears throat> what's the word I'm looking for? Um, to hide those, you know, if you're making donations to charity, you know, you don't need to tell everybody, you know, um, if you're going to go and do, you know, a work a day uh, in a care home or a hospital or whatever, or, you know, it's good if you're inspiring others. It's good if you're encouraging others to do that. And if that's the intention and the outcome, then that's great. But, you know, <clears throat> there's something lost when you do share it because it's not selfless contribution if you're doing it for um to to show people how what how virtuous you are right so there is this thing and you know the basket brigade 20 years it's been going for the first 15 years 
10 years. There was no social media involved. There was no involved. And then we started to film it because we wanted to let everyone know about, you know, what we do and how we do it. So to share what the S group is, etc. Not about individuals or me, but just share, you know, what it was all about. And then, you know, it became, we had our photographer and those photographs got going out on social media. And then everyone else is taking their own photographs. Then you've got some people standing there going, I'm here today, you know, we're just doing this day of contribution. And, and it starts to become... You know, ultimately, at the beginning, we were um, like a secret service, you know, and no one knew anything about it. And all they'd do is we'd just go out there and deliver all these baskets. And if someone on the Internet had tried to find us, they'd never find us. Whereas now you can find out where you got who, who gave you the basket sort of thing, because you can find this big event happening on the 23rd of December every year. So <clears throat> social media's changed all that. And, you know, when one person sees one person doing it, they think that's what you're supposed to do. So it's been an interesting journey, that in itself, of uh, of, of recognising that. And, you know, I, I've generally, you know, stayed in the zone where unless it's if it's not serving the mission, I'm not going to go public, you know. So that's my sort of guide with it. Yeah, interesting to see the, the, the progress with that. And I think uh, a great initiative, I think. Uh, did you get that one uh, or the idea from for it from Tony Robbins by any chance? Yeah. 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 And it wasn't my idea. You know, it was one of the ladies, um, Liani Pedro in the group who started the basket brigade. And I was like, OK, so you want to do this thing? You know, that's nice. And it wasn't really something that, you know, immediately caught my attention. I'm honest, you know, and I just thought it's really nice to do and we'll support you, you know. Um, I'm I'm busy with my business. I'm busy sorting out the S yes group. It's another project. Great, do it. And and it sort of, you know, then it became. <clears throat> she moved on. You know, maybe five, ten years later, there's a whole load of other people that were very committed to it, but ultimately it came down to me to maintain that event through time. Um, and what I mean by that is to make sure we had um, a leader to manage the whole thing. So that became a process of. Uh, finding the right person to do that and ultimately giving them the assurances, confidence, support that they could pull it off because it is, it's is—it's a big thing now, you know, um, organizing an event for up to, well, a thousand volunteers that register and, you know, building all these baskets in a single day, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred baskets, mostly in the last few years, you know, it's a huge responsibility uh, to that. So, you know, we have to um, support that new person coming in for a new thing. You know, normally they would have been at the event, obviously, but running it's completely different because it's a three-month run-in, uh, including fundraising of, you know, £20,000. Yeah, quite an undertaking. Okay, well, I think we're coming towards the end of the conversation and I just wanted to kind of wrap up and I think we've talked about quite a lot of interesting topics as well. And we'll see how this question goes. Not tried this one before. So <laughs> looking back at, you know, potentially the things we've seen, we talked about today, or even just, you know, your life in general, what kind of advice do you think you'd give a younger version of yourself uh, looking back now? And that could be 10, 20, 30 years. Or if that doesn't resonate, what advice might you give yourself in 10, 20 years in the future? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great question. Um I think the one of the things that I've um, been, you know, I think the lessons learned are the lessons learned, aren't they? You know, and to learn them sooner 
um, was obviously not the right thing, you know, because we're all doing the best we can with the resources we have. This is something I believe, and we're all, you know, in a process of uh, evolving all the time. I think, you know, one of the things I've failed to do is get up quickly enough. You know, when I got knocked down by the nightclub environment, you know, and I say I was mentally, physically, spiritually broken, you know, I took that two years out before I got into Tony Robbins, right? I was on a sort of sabbatical. I was, but I was really trying to find my way, you know, I was trying to find a path, you know, and I was trying to find myself. And that event was the catalyst for me going on a personal development journey, which is a leadership journey in another way. So, you know, and then I've been knocked down over the last, last you know, 30, 25, 30 years by other things, you know, I've started other businesses and, you know, had relationships that have failed, etc. So, you know, you get knocked down. I think my thing I'd like to do is figure out how I can get back up quicker, you know, because, you know, feeling sorry for yourself, being stuck in that reluctant leader, not having a vision, all those things are a waste of life, if you like. So, if there's one thing that you know i'd say to people is you know figure out how you can recover from these um setbacks in a in a better way and bounce back stronger yeah for sure definitely echo that uh, and part of it's confidence in yourself part of it's i think life experience as well and just knowing as you get older you know you start to realize oh time goes faster as you get older it does for me anyway don't know about you but... oh yeah <laughs> don't worry it's going to speed up <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, we are on this planet for a short period of time. We all think that we're going to live forever. We don't. Um, and, you know, we, uh, you know, I, I'm proud of myself for keeping fit. You know, I still, you know, I put in, uh, I think it was 85 kilometers last month. Uh, February did 100, you know, running. And um, it's challenging. Um, but conditioning myself to do that uh, has been uh my way of maintaining uh positivity and a and good health and i rec you know recommend you know exercise for people and you know part of my philosophy is about how do you raise your vitality you know as a leader you have to raise your vitality you have to be the best version of yourself i say to people that when you are being the best version of yourself you are a role model for others and then you become a leader because people you're influencing people by your actions not just through what you might tell them or say to them because you have a position to assert authority on them or not yeah and it's partly about state isn't it i mean all those things you're talking about are leading for you to you being in a good state and I'm sure you've recognized this yourself. If somebody jumps into a room who's like super high energy, really fun and genuine at the same time, then generally they lift the room somewhat, you know. And I had an experience like that when I moved into this place I'm living in at the moment. And I was in, I was just so happy to see my friends and just be there. And I know that well, they were happy to see me as well. But it was just like that, the level of like that good state that I brought in. I could see that that lifted them up as well. And I think that's part of the whole vitality thing, getting enough sleep, uh, doing exercise. I know you run quite a lot as well. I think, I think it's really important. Um, and that's probably one of my top values is health, you know, probably top three health. Uh, for me also, it would be friendships slash community. Um, really, that's almost top now because it was previously success um, without knowing it, actually. That fear of failure not being good enough from... You know, upbringing and things like that, which am I going to another time maybe? But turning that on its head, being aware of that, like what is what is something that you unconsciously or consciously put at the top of everything? Is it is it comfort? 
Is it security? Is it your safety? Or do you want it to be something a bit different? Do you want to have the bigger, higher vitality through being healthy, eating well, running and all of that? And for me, that that's that really just changed things. And I think sleep's probably the base of all energy, really. Yeah, yeah. I've, um, you know, I've recognized that when I haven't been well, uh, in it's the last decade, I've really recognized how sleep can make the big difference to, to, to how you recover from being unwell. You know, I've had a toothache and been able to get rid of the toothache through care rather than just a dentist. Um, salt water is a great one for that. If you, anyone out there wants to tip that, it really does work. But um, you mentioned the word genuinely, and I, I just have another word for that as well, which is authenticity, right? And, and I know we've touched this at the event we, we spoke about the other week, but um, for me, leadership is about authenticity as well. So what I mean by that is that um, there are stereotypes about what we're perceived as leaders, and we should forget all those stereotypes and focus on ourselves and think about what how we can lead in, in any moment and um we are all leaders and it's about being able to express ourselves uh, about how we can bring value to the situation right now if we think how can i help now how can i serve now how can i um find a way out of the forest now how can i solve this problem everyone's got now you know this you know how can i risk being wrong now how can i say something that might be irrelevant to everybody else but someone in that group might just go no no you've got it there that's what it is because if you add that and that it's going to work you know that that's the sort of risk we have to take we have to be bold we have to be confident and we grow that confidence by um our small successes by you know the habits that we have that we achieve within ourselves can build that confidence and uh, being around good people really you know helps with that because you know uh, the other thing I talk about is in my talk about leadership is about acknowledging ourselves for the successes but also acknowledging others and when you acknowledge others you'll find the people around you that are going to acknowledge you as well for the things that you might not even recognize you're doing or the things you really would want to be uh, acknowledged and accepted for and recognized for. So all this builds up to um, creating a what I call a personal culture of success, which is all about building a peer group and um, uh, a, a, a culture within the work environment you have as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, the authenticity thing, and I'm not sure if this applies to you, but it definitely applies to me, is that I can feel that I'm getting anxious or more anxious. I, you know, I've struggled with anxiety and depression at times in my life and still uh, struggle with anxiety, to be honest, um, including public speaking. And that's a whole other story. Now I don't mind it. And now I'm doing a podcast, so, you know, it's uh, flipped entirely. There you go. I find that being authentic, although risky in some ways, is the only way for you to feel yourself. And I mean, it might sound really obvious, but if you're somehow like holding something back uh, from how you're acting or talking or behaving, and obviously we all adapt to different situations, mirroring and all that stuff. But if you're not being yourself, for me, that's anxiety producing and it doesn't mm. feel right. Um, and so part of this leadership thing is being happy and willing to present the real you in the environment that you're in. And that is, it's obviously you know, a bit risky, you know, in our reptilian brains and all this stuff, you know, not being part of the group or not being exactly the same as everyone else is risky. Well, we have to remember everyone else is different as well. Correct. Yeah. 
but you know fearing feeling the fear and doing it anyway it was one of the first books i read on personal development and it's still a brilliant book i mean i can't remember any of it now but you know it was a brilliant book at the time and i recommend it highly susan jeffers but yeah taking that um you know opportunity to uh to grow that's that's what it's about for sure well, not and, it, and, and it's presented to us every day you know we don't have to really go looking for it because you can start from where you are today there'll be an opportunity coming to you that's true very true okay well is there anything else you'd like to tell the audience before we start to wrap up um tune into more of luke's uh, talks well done if you got this far through for listening to me you know there's <laughs> i know that he's going to be uh interviewing some amazing people and you should uh follow and check in every time he releases a new one oh thanks for that um and are there any future projects or current projects you'd like to tell people about uh well the yes group you know you can google it and find us you know when we're back in the room uh come visit us you'll have a high energy night and a fun night and we'll be um bringing the uh, world's best to you as we've done for more than 25 years and um yeah look out for for what we might do in the future we're always looking now at, at, at reinventing ourselves having reinvented for for the pandemic and being on zoom we're, we're looking now to reinvent ourselves and produce uh higher value uh uh deliverables and services for people so yeah keep an eye on us definitely echo that it's been very useful to have the s group in my time in london my brief time in london really enjoyed uh coming to the events and also more recently as well getting back into everything and uh, really appreciate the community and everything you've done there as well. Thanks. Um, so yeah, we can find it's great you. Great to have you part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, so you find it at yesgroup.org. Um, I know you've got a few of the projects you've had going on as well. Is there a good way that if people want to get in contact with you, or you can also say no, I don't want to talk to people. Is there a way <laughs> that people might want to get in contact with you as a preferred method? You prefer that? Um, yeah, I could um hit me up on facebook or uh, linkedin you know they're pretty uh best ways to, to contact me i think and um i think you mentioned my business original thing we uh do merchandising so you know we've done a lot of merchandising for the yes group whether it be notepads or journals or uh, reusable coffee cups and all those sort of things and bags we've done so yeah we just always you know i've been serving blue chip organizations five star um hotels and uh, uh hospitality venues for all that time so yeah we've definitely got a high level of service and function for that that's great all right thanks carl and uh thanks for everyone for listening thank you very much thank you for listening to tipping points if you like this episode please share it with your friends subscribe like and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast player doing this really helps us to keep providing free content to you if you want to find out more, get more episodes and exclusive content, please head over to tippingpointspodcast.com. If you found today's conversation valuable, imagine how much value you and your team could get from structured productivity training designed by me. We have free interactive half-day workshops on how to maximize output without working harder, how to understand the needs of others, and how to get into flow state. And stay there. With over 100 delegates and an average review score of over 4.7 stars, you're guaranteed to take away actionable insights and tools and have fun in the process. All our courses are practical, logical, and grounded in science. Whether you're in a small or a large business, we've got the tools to take it to the next level. Find out more at mindfulproductivity.net forward slash courses. That's mindfulproductivity.net forward slash courses.